0: text for the sermon this morning is 1 Kings 8. And we read there the verses 22 to 53. We begin at 22. The uh, board ran out of the number 2, so we had to uh, leave those 2's out. Starting at 22... And we read there the following, "'Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord "'in the presence of all the assembly of Israel "'and spread out his hands toward heaven. "'And he said, "'Lord God of Israel, "'there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you "'who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants "'who walk before you with all their hearts. "'You have kept what you promised your servant David my father.' You've spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised, your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed on their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. That your eyes may be opened toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there. That you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, And when you hear, forgive, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar on this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness, When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hand toward this temple, then hear in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose hearts you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men." that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this temple here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you. That all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, wherever you send them. And when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive, and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and prayed to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you. And grant them compassion before those who took them captive. That they may have compassion on them. For they are your people. And your inheritance. Whom you brought out of Egypt. Out of the iron furnace. That your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant. And the supplication of your people Israel. To listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth. To be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So far, the text for the sermon. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God, and therefore a lot of people have excluded Him from this world. A lot of people say that because they cannot see God, there is no God. I read recently that there are even atheist churches where they celebrate that there is no God. However, Christians can also exclude God from their daily lives. If they live as God doesn't exist. If they live as as if God doesn't see them. And doesn't have much, if anything, to do with life here. They worship him on Sundays maybe, but for the rest he's not relevant to their everyday life. They only go by what they see then. And since they don't see God... Then he doesn't really exist for them either. On the other hand, there has been also growing interest in spirituality over the past number of years, decades. There are people who believe that there is more to life than can be seen. But they believe then in mystical powers at work in this world, in nature, in their own lives. And then they figure if they can connect with those spiritual powers, that they can use those powers to their own advantage. And you can think maybe of Oprah Winfrey and her Super Soul Sunday sessions. Kind of a spirituality church on its own. She interviews all kinds of spiritual leaders and advisors who have a similar Idea about God as she does, God is basically spiritual energy inside all people, which you can manipulate to make you happier and healthier when things go wrong in your life. Well, in the middle of this world, with all kinds of ideas about God's being or not being there, we listen this morning to the Bible. And the Bible tells us there's an almighty and glorious God and creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and his understanding is far above our understanding. And yet he's also, even though he's so great and exalted, he's also involved in a very real way with this world, with you and me, even. With our personal lives. And he's accessible to us also. So not only does he come and look here, but we also can go to him. A living relationship with this great God. And we see that message about God in our text, which is part of Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. You remember that temple that Solomon built over a number of years in Jerusalem and I preached to you the text with this theme then there is no God like the Lord God of Israel and we see Solomon express three things about God first of all he is great and secondly he's involved and thirdly he's accessible first of all God is great Solomon believed in the greatness of God. Solomon had it made. He had it made. He was at the the pinnacle of his power and fame. A rich Middle Eastern king who governed his land very wisely. Known all over the world of those days because of that wisdom. Wisdom. There was abundance in the land, prosperity. Lots to eat and drink. His people were happy. It was peaceful. It says in 1 Kings 4 verse 20 that Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. Solomon had built strong walls around Jerusalem and beautiful palaces and buildings within that city. With Solomon, we find ourselves, we could say, at the climax of Israel's development. God's purpose for Israel seemed to be coming to wonderful fulfillment here. All of his promises. Through that nation, God was showing the whole world at that time what a gracious and good God he is and powerful. And it looks in Solomon's days as if it couldn't get any better. And the best of all is that King Solomon had not forgotten the Lord, the God of Israel. At least not yet. He still wanted to serve and glorify Him as the Lord and Redeemer of His people. And that's also why he wanted to build a beautiful temple for God. A wonderful building there in Jerusalem. Wanted everybody to know that not Israel's king, Solomon, but Israel's God, is above all. He is the real king of Israel, who lives among his people. He's the reason for Israel's peace and prosperity. Not Solomon, but the Lord God. Well, the Lord, Israel's true king, took up residence in that beautiful temple which Solomon had built. We read about that in the first part of 1 Kings 8. When the Ark of God was brought up and placed in the inner room of that temple in the most holy place, a cloud filled the temple. And the priests could no longer conduct their tasks there because of that cloud. It was a dark cloud cloud of God's presence the glory of the Lord filled that that house it says in chapter 8 verse 11 and then while that cloud continued to hang there in the temple Solomon spoke to the people assembled in the temple court about the building of the temple and then he turned around and he stood before that great altar in the court and he spread out his hands towards heaven, as was done in those days, facing the temple. And he prayed to God. He began by praising God for his greatness. He says, verse 23 Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on the earth below like you. God is incomparable. There is nothing or no one in heaven or on earth who even comes close to being like God. In his being, in his faithfulness, in his mercy, in his power. And then Solomon continued to praise God for his greatness in another way while the clouds still filled that temple, he asked in verse 27. But, so he first says, God is great, and then he says, verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Well, didn't Solomon see with that cloud in the temple that God was able to visibly, almost tangibly, dwell there on earth? Didn't Solomon see how God had taken up residence in that temple in Jerusalem in a kind of a visible way? How could he question that God lived there at the time? Solomon wasn't questioning God's presence there. His prayer shows a deep, deep respect and love for God and awe for God. He was wise. Solomon knew who God is. God is great. God is so full of glory and majesty that he can't be shut up in a building, he realized. Yes, the temple Solomon built was a beautiful building. In the three chapters before the one in which we find our text... We're told about how that temple was built. It was kind of a prefab structure. Everything was made to fit exactly together beforehand. And then it was brought up and all fitted together. Perfectly. Built of huge stones. Covered on the inside completely. That temple was covered on the inside with cedar. Cedar wood from Lebanon, carved with angels, covered with gold. But no matter how, how beautiful and impressive that building was, Solomon says there, it cannot contain the fullness of God, of God's being. No, Solomon said, even the heavens, the heaven of heavens cannot contain the Lord God nothing at all in all creation can hold God can contain him can enclose him that's how great he is and that's in complete contrast to the pagan nations around Israel who had temples for their gods their gods were shut up in temples That's how those pagans then could manipulate their gods so they could be favorable to them as they thought. That's why they made those images of their gods and put them in the middle of their temples. They wanted to control their gods so their gods would do their bidding. After all, then their gods lived with them so they could make them do as they wished. In, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was no image. And that whole idea of controlling or manipulating God was far from Solomon's mind at the dedication of the temple. He knew that God could not be contained or manipulated. He cannot be enclosed in a house or a building. That's idolatry. Nobody can control God, can limit Him. And Solomon's prayer is a warning to the people not to try to do that either. To think that because they have God, because of the temple, they have God. Unfortunately, later on in Israel's history, they did think that they owned God. That they could control Him, so to speak, because they had that temple in Jerusalem where He lived. Think of how the prophet Jeremiah had to warn Israel about their sinful lives, Jeremiah 7. See, the people in Israel at that time, they figured they were okay living as they did because they had the temple of God among them. They could sin all they wanted, and then they could go to that temple and then sacrifice and have it all forgiven again and start all over again, again and again and again. Undo their guilt. God would undo their guilt again. No problem. And then Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 7, do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is this. No, if you do not repent of your sins from your hearts, I will do to this place as I have done to Shiloh. Namely, I will destroy it. God wants the hearts of his people. Solomon warned about that danger beforehand that they figured they could live as they wanted as long as they had God to forgive them every time again. They could presume on his grace. And let's not think this, this is not a, a danger for us today too, congregation. Congregation. We don't have a temple today, but the church of Jesus Christ is sometimes in the Bible called the temple of the living God in the New Testament. Should never think that because we belong to the true church of Christ that we can just accept certain sins in the church without any problem because we can presume upon God's grace. God wants our hearts. And if that's how we think, remember how the Lord Jesus warned the church of Ephesus that unless they repented In their hearts. And changed. He would remove their lampstand from its place. No, God dwells in those who have humble and and contrite hearts. Congregation also today we have to remember. That earth and heaven cannot contain God. He, He won't be put in a box. It can't be. So to speak. That also means that we shouldn't think we can control him and his grace. And that we can limit him to certain times or places like Sunday worship or religious moments like devotions and think that he doesn't have anything to do with the rest of our lives. Then we're trying to put God in a box too. What what we do then is try to contain God in a special corner of our lives and keep Him out of the remainder of our existence. Can't do that. God is way too great for that. We have to let His presence be a reality that surrounds us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. A reality that we live with all the time. For as Solomon said in the address of of his prayer, earth and heaven cannot contain him. We come to the second part of the sermon. Israel's God is involved, or you could say engaged, with us. So the God of the covenant is great congregation. But But confessing that greatness could also mean that his people think he's so mighty and glorious, he's too far above this world and above our lives to be involved with it and with the people in it, really involved. How could we finite people here, specks of dust on this little planet, have a relationship with such a great and glorious God? How is that possible? You know, and if we question that, then God can seem so vague and distant and otherworldly to us. Can there be a link between our small being and His great being? What is that link? Do I have anything to do with God and does He have anything to do with me and my life here? The Bible is very clear about the existence of God. This God made heaven and earth and everything in them, everything that exists, visible and invisible. He's the origin of life, your life and my life. He controls what happens here. He's holy and exalted. But the Bible tells us that He also has made contact with people here on earth, a relationship. That's the beauty of the Bible. We see a relationship between the great and Almighty God and and small and sinful people. He spoke to Adam and Eve after the fall. Promised to love, in love to work salvation for sinners who seek Him. And then in the Old Testament, His love went out in particular to His covenant nation, Israel. He had to, to pick a people out of this world. And he picked Israel. He freed them from Egypt. Showed the whole world he is mighty. To save those he loves as he promises. And his wisdom, majesty and faithfulness became visible in Solomon's kingship. And then he gave Solomon the task to build him a house in Jerusalem too. A beautiful temple. And that temple was a wonderful link between God on high, and his people, Israel, here. In that temple, as that cloud filled that temple at the dedication, it showed that heaven and earth came together there, in that place. And then in particular, in the most holy place, where the ark stood with its mercy seat, where the blood of atonement was sprinkled every time again. The atonement for the sins of the people. And so you see that God came. Among his people with something very very special. God as it were took the risk. That the people of Israel. Might think that they could contain him in that temple. In order to try to manipulate him. But nevertheless. He still promised at that time. That that's where he would live among his people. That. Is where his name would dwell in that physical place on earth in Jerusalem. And that's also why Solomon said in his prayer that the people could ask him whatever they needed to continue to live as his people. You know, listen again to what Solomon prayed, for instance, in the verses 37 to 40. He says, There, when there is famine in the land, Pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive. And act and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. That they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. A wonderful thing. You know you could could ask, you could approach God in any trouble. Could lay what was on your heart before him. By praying in the direction of the temple. And he would know your heart. There was a link between God and his people. Centered on that temple in Jerusalem. And on the work of atonement that took place in that temple. That's where heaven and earth came together. And that's where God's attention was focused. Exalted God with lowly, sinful man. Solomon prayed, verse 29, that his eyes would be open to that temple day and night. In other words, there in the temple, the gate of heaven was open for the people 24-7. Always. God would always listen to his people in mercy and love if their hearts we're inclined to him, repentant and inclined to him. Beautiful congregation, but now there's a problem, right? The temple no longer exists. All that happens on that mountain in Jerusalem today is conflict between Jews and Muslims. It flares up every time again. You read it in the paper. There's a huge Muslim mosque instead of... A temple today on that hill where God said his name would dwell forever. The Old Testament temple project was a failure from man's side, you could say. on the side of the people. Think of how the, we, how the people dealt with that temple in Jesus' days. We read about it in John 2. They made it God's house. A place of buying and selling, a place of merchandise, a house of trade, a place to make profit from the worship of God, manipulated God, a place to manipulate God to their advantage. And God would not allow that to continue because then he, only a few decades later, God sent the Romans and they completely leveled the temple. But what about now then? Is there no link between heaven and earth now that the temple is gone? Has God now drawn away from this earth? Returned to other places in the universe or in heaven? No, thank the Lord. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus spoke of his own body as the temple. John 2 People tried to destroy that temple of Jesus' body by nailing it to a cross. But they failed. Project Destroyed Jesus failed. After three days, Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus Christ now lives and his body is a living temple with God for us. In him, heaven and earth now come together. In Christ. If we pray toward heaven in the name of Jesus and lift up our hearts on high where Christ, our advocate, is at the right hand of God, God listens to us. Day and night, 24-7, he pays attention to what is asked for in Jesus' name from the heart. He always hears our prayers today and he is great and almighty and all-powerful. But he's also therefore still involved with our lives here today. Engaged with us. For Jesus always lives there at God's right hand with the temple of his body. And intercedes for us. We arrive at the last part of the sermon this morning. In this part we see that God is also therefore accessible. Congregation We can pray to heaven in Jesus' name and ask for God whatever we need to serve him here. Jesus is our link. Connected to God on high through him. By his spirit, he connects us to Jesus Christ and via Christ then to himself. In Solomon's time in the Old Testament, the point of connection was the temple where God's grace was played out in that, on that altar in front of which Solomon prayed with uplifted hands and that, that, that ark inside. That's where the point of connection was then via that altar where sacrifices were brought, where blood flowed day and night. God was only accessible via that altar in that temple when people prayed toward that beautiful temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And from Solomon's prayer, the people of Israel could know that if they prayed from the heart toward God's dwelling place there, where his name dwelt, he would hear, always. And today we don't lift up our hands to a physical temple on earth anymore, but lift our hearts on high in heaven where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of God. He is our temple. He is our way to God's ear. He is our way to the relationship with God, our way to God's heart, our heart to God's heart. And if God was willing to hear the prayers directed toward that temple of stone in the Old Testament, no matter how beautiful it was, it's just a temple of stone, how much more can we be sure that He will listen to our prayers directed to Him in the name of Jesus Christ? whose body was put to death and raised after three days for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Through Him, God is always wonderfully accessible to us. If we call from our hearts, the contrite heart, not to be manipulated then, but to fill empty hands lifted up to Him. And then the question is, congregation, do we make full use of that access to the God of grace and glory and power, congregation? In all the ups and downs of your life, do you make use of that access? Do you enjoy prosperity? Well, then do you thank your great and gracious God with uplifted heart for all he gives you to enjoy? Do you struggle with your sins and sinfulness? Well, then do you you dare to confess your sins to Him by name and plead for His forgiveness for Christ's sake and for His Spirit to live a new life? Do you deal with sorrow or loneliness? Well, then do you lift up your heart to heaven where Christ is and talk to God about it and ask for His help and comfort and nearness? You see... Do you then make daily use of God's accessibility in your life? Even while you're about your daily activities, speak to Him. The way is open for you to approach Him. There is that link between heaven and earth, you and God. And that link is Jesus Christ. And God waits day and night 24-7 for you to entrust yourself to Him every time again. As James writes, James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for showing us through King Solomon's prayer that you are a great and awesome and faithful God. Heaven and earth cannot contain you. You're everywhere. Nobody can control you. Help us to realize that your presence is a reality wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And even though you are so great and awesome, you're also a God who is involved in the lives of each one of your people. And so you hear us when we call to you. Because of Jesus Christ, you're accessible to us. And we can come to you with our needs and fears and joys. And you will hear for the sake of Jesus Christ at your right hand. Help us then to always lift up our hearts to you day by day. And hear us now. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.